0: Again, like half the church from Belize. It's a great thing though, right? Yeah. Wonderful. So last week we we were in Psalm 15 and one of the things we noted in Psalm 15, one of the ways we launched into that Psalm was right out of John 5. You got to look at John 5. Take a look. It'll set us up for this morning. Jesus says this to the religious leaders. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. So one of the, 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 the overarching principles last week was that the whole Bible, particularly here, the Old Testament Scriptures, they point to Jesus. And so in Psalm 15, for example, we read this psalm about living a blameless life. And who of us has lived a blameless life? No one. So you're looking, into the, you're looking at the psalm wondering who's going to do that? And that psalm points to Jesus. He's the one that's been blameless. He's the one that can dwell in the presence of God. We carry His record with us into the presence of God. Psalm 15 clearly points us to Jesus as do the rest of the Scriptures. And so what I want to do is I now want to take several, really several months. It's going to be a multi-year process. We're now going to step from the Psalms into the Gospel according to Luke. I want to start a long expository series, just verse by verse through the Gospel according to Luke. I want to walk with Jesus so that we learn to love Him, enjoy Him, learn from Him. I want to get to know this Man, God in flesh, who fulfilled all of these Scriptures. That one whom was pointed to, I want to now look back and I want to walk with him slowly. And so we're going to walk through the Gospel of Luke. We're just going to do like we do. We're just going to walk right through that Gospel. And in the next few months, uh, we'll probably get to a point where we'll say, okay, let's now go back into the Psalms and then we'll pick up another batch of Psalms. And by the end of it, if you stick with me and I keep living, we will, in, multi, in many years from now, we will have walked through every psalm in the Bible and we will walk through Luke. And not just through Luke, we're going to pick up his volume too because he just didn't write Luke, he wrote Acts. So by 2060, we will have completed this very long series. Some of you are upset because you know you're not going to live that long. I'm so sorry. You'll just have to look down from heaven. All right. Um, So, with that said, let's jump in. Luke chapter 1 and walk with this one who I want to learn to love and enjoy as we walk slowly with him. The one who fulfilled the Scriptures. Luke chapter 1. We'll just do these first four verses today. He writes this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Those four verses have something to say to you and me this morning. So let's unpack them. First thing I'm noticing right out of the gate, we'll put it up on the screen. Now, just for those watching online, we have a software issue. We cannot show the slides online, and I don't know when this is going to get fixed. I've been messing with it for quite a while. So you just look at me, and everyone else will look at the TV. Uh, I want to highlight here, right out of the gate, the I myself. I want to note the first person pronoun here. This is Luke claiming authorship right out of the gate. Now, what we don't see in the whole of the Gospel is Luke actually claiming authorship. That is, explicitly saying, I, Luke, wrote the Gospel. But ever since this Gospel came into circulation, Christians have universally understood this to have been written by Luke. So there really is not a, a major debate on who wrote this, this account of the life of Jesus. This is Luke. And we know some things about Luke. We know here that he's writing to someone that at some point in his life, and maybe even currently, has influenced him, this Theophilus. And we don't know exactly who Theophilus is. There's a lot of debate about who this is. Some think this is just a word, it's a name that actually describes a whole community of people. Others, and this is primarily the view most take today, that this is, the guy who's, uh, uh, this is Luke's patron, the guy who's financing Luke, like he's supporting Luke to write this gospel. Whatever the case, this Theophilus has influenced Luke, and he's got a reason for writing to this person, although we don't know much more about him. With that said, we know there is another relationship in play that deeply influenced Luke, and probably had a lot to do with why we're reading it in the Scriptures right now. That person is the Apostle Paul. We know that Luke connected up with the Apostle Paul and spent a lot of time with Paul on his missionary journeys. So let me just give you a review of some of that. I just wanted to go ahead and put it on a slide so you can see it. Here are the the moments we see Luke with Paul uh, in the book of Acts. And in those places, interesting enough, he uses the first person pronoun, we. So in the book of Acts, we see we did something. This is Luke uh, using that pronoun in these moments. So and here are the passages, Luke 16, 20, 21, and 27, In all those chapters. We know that he joined Paul on a second, uh, second missionary journey, and he moved from a city called Troas to Philippi with Paul. We know that second in the second um, uh, moment, he re- rejoined Paul on the third missionary journey, Philippi to Jerusalem, and then he stayed with Paul, who was in prison for two years in Caesarea uh, before they went on to Rome. So uh, Luke spent a lot of time with Paul. And one of the reasons I bring this up is this moment where Luke was with Paul in Caesarea. Now, being imprisoned in the Roman world had varying degrees of intensity. And in this moment in Caesarea, Paul's actually kind of uh, has a lot of freedom as a prisoner because he's being held for trial, but he still could have visitors uh, and almost like a house arrest there in uh, Caesarea. And at that moment, in those two years, those, most people think, are where Paul's doing most of his research. So you can imagine, this guy he spent a lot of time with, he's in prison. And then he's hanging out with the guy in prison. And along the way, Luke then travels out into the region. Because Caesarea is in the same region where Jesus would have done his work while on earth. And Luke takes stints, these trips into the region. And he begins, like an investigative journalist, to interview people. When you saw Jesus, when He healed you, when you heard that teaching, when you saw Him in that city. And he begins to compile a massive amount of evidence, or really source material, to be able to write the account. So the reason Caesarea is important, this moment when he's with Paul, is not only is Paul teaching Luke about Jesus, and Luke is hearing these sermons that Paul gives in all these different cities, but Luke has a moment to actually go and do the investigative journalism. And then he takes that and he begins to craft what we have as the gospel according to Luke. Now, it's not just that he just talked to eyewitnesses years later after the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, not to mention Luke Heard the gospel—that is, he heard the message of Christ from people who were eyewitnesses. I mean, when the message came to Luke, before he was ever a believer, the people speaking to him were eyewitnesses of Christ. He notes that right here. Just let's pick it up. Let's go back into the passage. Um, that's where he says he investigated, uh, carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And then we'll go go to the next one. They were handed down to us by those who, from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the, word, uh, of the Word. So Luke not only like goes and meets new people, the very people that preached the gospel to him knew Jesus. So that just adds a layer of source material to write the account of Jesus. And Luke's also just very honest, because he even starts the whole thing by noting, there have been people that have already written down parts of the life of Jesus. Note how he begins. We'll just take another section of this passage. He says this. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account. So we know there are those that have already written part of the life of Jesus, and Luke has those in hand. Now here, most scholars think that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is one of those accounts of the life of Jesus that Luke has. So think, think of Think of him having a library of sources, and one of them is Mark. And if you read Mark and Luke, there's a lot of similarity between those two Gospels. A lot of similarity. Where do those similarities come from? Most think that Luke had Mark as he was putting together the account of Christ. Now, it's not just that, like, Luke copied Mark. It's not like he just, like, you know, well, Mark said this, I'll change a word, and then, you know, the professor will be okay. Like, you know, no one will know that I plagiarize. It's not what's happening. Okay? Luke adds a whole a whole host of material that aren't in that, that was never put into the Gospel of Mark and really isn't in Matthew either. He does this for this reason. He he notes this. We'll go into this next part of the passage. He decided at some point, at some point, after doing probably a lot of his research and reading through Mark and maybe other accounts that never were considered inspired, he decided to write an orderly account. Now, that might seem like an underhanded uh, an underhanded way of uh, critiquing Mark. I will now write something that's orderly, because uh, Mark obviously is not orderly. Uh, that's probably not what's happening here. Uh, Luke here wants to note that what he's going to do is put this gospel together in a particular way to communicate a particular thing about Jesus. Now, when you and I hear orderly, I think chronological, right? Like, I think... like. It starts in year one, we get to year three, we get to five and six, we just go right in chronological order. But in the ancient world, orderly doesn't just mean chronological like you think and I might think. It also means that the gospel can be put together in a literary style or or put together structurally in ways... That try to get the message across. Well, one commentator says this. I just think this is just concise and clear. He says this about Paul's comment about, uh, Luke's comment about putting it together orderly. He says there are other types of order, thematic order, a satisfying literary structure, and so on. And what we're going to find as we study Luke is that pieces of Luke are put together really, really. Uh, sophisticated, um, intelligently. Like, they're put together in a way that communicate much more than just the words in the passage. And so we're going to be on the lookout for themes and literary structure. We'll also look at chronology. All of that goes into an orderly account. And so we're going to be on the lookout for those things. Now, if you're like me at this point, you might be saying, that's a lot of human involvement. Like, I thought the Bible's inspired. I thought it's the divine, holy Word of God. Like, almost dropped from heaven, right? This sounds like Luke had his hand in it more than God had his hand in it. What's going on? Is this divine, or is this just out of Luke's intelligence? Well, two, two scholars speak to this. Two scholars speak to this. I want you to hear first. B.B. Warfield, a well-known scholar from over a century ago, he says this about this connection between human and divine. He says this, The scriptures are the joint product of divine and human activities, both of which penetrate them at every point, working harmoniously together at the production of a writing which is not divine here and human there, but at once divine and human in every part, every word, every particular so it's not like you got Luke's inspiration in verse 1 and then God jumps in on verse 2. All of it's inspired. And God weaves together human personality and his holy inspiration, and they come together so that Luke could do work on his side of the equation. But God, no doubt, is inspiring it so that we know it is the infallible Word of God. You can root your life in it, you can stand on it, it'll stay with you until you go to the end of your life. It is inspired, but it always has human personality woven into it. God does not remove tone. And personality and word choice. A more recent pastor scholar, John MacArthur, he had this to say on the same point. Thought it's so good, we got to read it. The process of inspiration never bypasses or overrides the personalities, vocabularies, and styles of the human authors of Scripture. The unique traits of the human authors are always indelibly stamped on the book of Scripture. Luke's research creates no exception to this rule. The research itself was orchestrated by divine providence. So as, you, as we jump into those first four verses and go, man, Luke seems to be the one writing this and not God, we must always remember inspiration never equals God removing a person's effort or personality or style or vocabulary or their personal history. It's why Luke reads different than Paul, and Paul reads different than Peter, and Peter reads da- different than King David. They have different styles. But God used those styles, breathed into those styles, and it is the infallible Word of God. So you can stand on Luke. You can stand on it. You can be sure that this is the Word of God. Even with Luke's effort included and all of his style, all of his sophistication, it is still the inspired Word of God. And as the inspired Word of God, it does what every other Scripture does it will point us to Jesus. It's going to point us right to Jesus. It's going to tell us about salvation in Christ alone. That's what it's going to do. Now here's the thing. That's the point. That's the very thing Luke was trying to grab at. Take a look at this. He says, So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. I'm writing this thing because I happen to think Jesus is the most important person in the universe and I want you to be sure. I want you to be sure that you know it's guaranteed. What happened, happened. And I want you to have an assurance of faith. That's what I want. Now, this one commentator, he just notes, he notes this thing that I had to bring out because I thought the way he said it just caught me. Not necessarily sophisticated, just caught me the way he wrote it. I wrote it the way I would say it. Luke was really interested in Jesus Here's what this commentator said that really caught me. Luke was an eyewitness of the apostolic ministry. So that's he he knew the apostles. And he was a member of the earthly Christian community. And as such, he wanted to know everything there was to know about Jesus. You know what caught me about that, right? That's how we talk about baseball teams. That's how we talk about politics. That's how we talk about any subject we're interested in. I want to know everything I can know about that. And for Paul, it happened to be not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which I do not like. I just had to work that in because if you know who else I don't like. And I know I just made everybody mad, particularly Pat. I'm so sorry, Pat, do not hate me. Do not hate me, Pat? is this: It wasn't Tampa Bay, it wasn't Atlanta. it was Jesus. Like that's the person who caught his attention, and what strikes me on that is because in our day Jesus is just some like abstract religious figure way out there. He doesn't have anything to do with my life. It's just Jesus, and like Jesus is a religion, right? And so like they can you can have your religion way over there, but for Luke Jesus was a person, a person who walked with this guy that he was friends with. And Luke was like, i got to know everything about that man because that man's the most important person in the universe and I'm going to get to know everything I can about that guy. And actually I'm going to study it to the point that I can write an orderly account of his life so you can be sure of everything that you've been told about him. That's how, that's how, that's how captivated Luke was about Jesus. And honestly, I wish my heart was that captivated as Luke's heart was captivated. Still working on that. Maybe you are too, maybe. But it wasn't just he wanted to know everything about this Jesus. It's that he believed that Theophilus needed to know about this stuff. Like, you need to know about this. It's not just like he's a really cool guy and it'd be cool if you learned some stuff about him. Like, if he was in our day, he'd be like a TikTok star. Like, he'd be an influencer. Like, man, but there's a lot of influencers. You just might like this one. No, for Luke... You have to know about this guy. Everyone else might be cool, and there might be a million other influencers, but you've got to know about this one. This guy you've got to know about. As one commentator notes, he says it this way in terms of what Luke thought we needed to know. He said, Theophilus knew, about Jesus, but, uh, Theophilus knew about Jesus, but needed to know him for sure. This is what we need as well. And the salvation that comes through faith in him, we need to know. What Jesus accomplished, we need to know the perfection of his virgin birth, the obedience of his sinless life, the wisdom of his profound teaching, the power of his divine miracles. We need to know these things because they prove that he is the son of God and we need to know what Jesus did to save us from the wrath of God. We need to know that he suffered and died on the cross for our sins. We need to know that he was raised from the dead to give eternal life to all who trust him. And we need to know that he has ascended to heaven where he rules over all things for the glory of God. We need to know that. And so he goes about as an investigative journalist and he talks to eyewitnesses, he picks up other sources, other written accounts. He leans in on his own experience with eyewitnesses who gave him the gospel message. And he sits down over a certain amount of time and he writes an orderly account so that we would have assurance that this man who came to bring salvation is that man. You need to know it. Because without it, you're in really big trouble. You'll be left to your own devices. And good luck with that. So what does this bring us? Those are the first four verses. This whole, these, these four verses are all about Jesus and how Jesus is the most important person in the universe. Luke believed it, and now he's written something to tell all of us that very thing. So what does that have to do with your life? I mean, really, let's get this on the ground. I got a question. It's two questions, but it's really the same question said two different ways. Here it is. Just got one. Like, this is it for today on the application. How much time do we invest in getting to know Jesus? Another way you could say it is, how often do we even think about Him? I mean, really. I know you're in church, so check you got this one. Like, this hour, you're good. But here's the thing that I think happens more than we like to admit. You walk into Sunday lunch, and it's not Jesus, it's football and Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or any of those new ones, like, I know, Facebook, I'm dating myself, that's fine. The point is, we, go, we walk out of the building, and we've, we've done our Jesus thing, and then we're on with real life. We're, we're on with what really matters. Like, who's playing who, what's the score, house fantasy football, like, those are the things we're thinking about. Now listen, this sermon had already been prepared, but I was aware of this yesterday. I've just been constantly trying to be aware of how often am I thinking about Jesus. And there's no problem with thinking about other things. Were you watching the ECU game yesterday? I'm so sorry. I was feeling it too. And I'm not even a fan. But man, I was hurting. Ticklish for that kicker. I'm so sorry. If he watches this, which he won't, we love you. We love you. You're an NC State fan. You do not. You, you 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 do love him, actually. Yeah, you do. Okay, so it goes both ways. All right. Um, so so and, and and maybe you were yesterday. You were like getting updates. Maybe you were watching it. Uh, you were getting this update as the the the, the UNC app, app State game turned into a basketball game in the last two minutes. Like, if you don't know what happened there, you just have to go to ESPN, and you're gonna have to watch it. They scored like a million points in the last. Two seconds of the game. It was amazing. They thought about a touchdown and the other team scored. Like that's all that had to happen. We would like to. And then all of a sudden the score showed up on the on the on the scoreboard. But in all of that, in all of that, how quickly I'm forgetting about Jesus. I get real invested in this stuff. And then I get invested in other things too. There is no problem having fun watching sports. Go enjoy it. Like get into it. Know the stats but be very careful never to think that that sport will last into eternity. No one's going to care who won the ECU game yesterday, a hundred years from now, in heaven. That's just not going to be the thing we're thinking about. Now, let's put this in context of like first century. Let me just get it into the first century. So let's let's take a turn into politics. Yeah, that's right. As we all know, you should be voting for. I'm just joking. I'll tell you that privately. Come on. Um, All right. There are so many things happening in our world, and every day, what has now happened is breaking news is just political news. And we are constantly getting a stream of the next big thing that's happening. And it just so happens they're breaking news all the time. If I, would, I should have brought the TV in. That would have been fine because we have a smart TV in the church. It's a rolling TV. I should have brought it in and turned on any of the news outlets and let you see what is breaking news. I guarantee you there would be something breaking right now. Now, let's put that in first century context because I want to make a point. I want to go through some key moments in the first century, Roman history, first century of Roman history. I want to go through, uh, this is the first century A.D., okay? I want to walk through some key moments that would have been happening at the very time Luke was alive. In 4 A.D., so all these will be in A.D. In 4, year 4, the adoption of Tiberius as the heir of Augustus Caesar. That's a big one, Transfer uh, potential transfer of power, big one. Then in 14 was the death of Emperor Augustus and the ascension of Emperor Tiberius. That's a big moment. In 14, same year, there's a mutiny in the Rhine region, uh, region, uh, legions. So you had a whole section of the army that, that, that rebelled. Upon the news of the death of Augustus, which was quelled by Germanicus Caesar, to, you immediately had an uprising. In 15... Emperor Tiberius transfers the elections from the popular assemblies to the Senate. It's a way of him consolidating power. Big moment. 37, we'll just speed up. 37, the death of Tiberius on the island of Capri. Caligula ascends to the throne. Transfer of power, another big moment. 41, Caligula is assassinated by the Praetorian guard, and Claudius is named the new Caesar. There's an assassination. Big news. Big news in the empire. Then, in 41, if that wasn't enough, the Roman writer Seneca is banished to the island of Corsica after he's accused of committing adultery with the emperor's niece. Major influencer banished because of a scandal. That's big news. 43, two years later, Claudius begins the first large-scale Roman invasion of Britain. Big news. International news. 44, Judea is annexed into the Roman province after the death of Herod Agrippa. Look, where Jesus walked and where the church was expanding, it gets taken over formally, completely by Rome. Then in 47, three years later, Claudius celebrates the secular games as Rome celebrates the 800th anniversary. 800th anniversary of the founding of the city. That's a big one. The 800th anniversary of Rome is a big one. 50, Claudius adopts Nero as his heir. That's going to be a big one. And then in 54, the death and deification. That is, they made Claudius a god after he died. He's part of the Roman pantheon. And Nero ascends to the throne. Like, those are major moments. If those would have happened in our day... We wouldn't have just been talking about it for a day. It would have been talked about for at least two weeks. It's about as long as our memories happens to be at this point. But we've been talking about it for some weeks. And there would have been articles, analysis, opinion pieces, eventually books. Any one of these would have been talked about for massive amounts of time and you and I would have been talking about it. Like we would have walked in here and I would have been saying, man, did you hear what happened to Seneca? He was sleeping with this person and then he got banished. Did you know that? And you know, you know that this isn't going to go well. We, this is what we would have done. And then we would have been talking about our favorite news outlet that's talking about it. And depending on what we're watching, we might have had different opinions about it. This would have dominated our thinking. The reason I go through all of this is to say this. Do you know how often Luke talks about any of those in the gospel according to Jesus? None. Not once. Then when he writes volume 2 and he talks about the church, do you know how often these come up? Never. The one is Herod Agrippa. He records the death of Herod Agrippa. But he says God did it. Now I want you to think about that massive moments in the history of Rome around 800 years. These are massive, important moments and Luke sees no need to talk about any of them. You and I get very fatuated with current events. I'm not saying they're not important and I'm not saying don't care about them. I'm not saying don't watch the news, but let you and I be very, very careful how quickly... We are, we our minds wander, and then begin to live in a whole other land that, in the end, has no eternal significance. Just be very careful. How often are you and I thinking about Jesus? He is the most important person in the universe. And you know what we're going to be singing about in a hundred years? I'm assuming none of us are going to. We're all going to. Maybe Jenna. Maybe Jenna will get to 108. Maybe. But I'm assuming most of us will be gone in 100 years. And you know what we're going to be doing? You will not be talking about Trump. I'm just just telling you. And you're not going to be talking about Biden. You won't be talking about the one person we elect in 2030. If that's right. Is it 2030? Is it 2032? doesn't matter. Whoever we elect at some year in the future, we're not talking about them. You get it. I should have thought through that before it came out of my mouth because someone's going, that's not right. We don't elect in that year. Okay. Do you know what we're doing? Here's what we're going to be singing about. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Here's our words. Then I looked, John wrote, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. We're going to be singing and talking about Jesus. That's what we're going to be doing. So we enjoy your sports, and I'll enjoy the news, but never get so caught up that you forget Jesus. Luke never forgot Jesus, and he gave his life telling his story, the story of Christ, so that you would know salvation is in him and him alone. So enjoy your TikToks. Not really, I'm not a fan, but if you have to, enjoy your Facebook and Instagram, enjoy your ESPN, but don't get so ensnared that you forget about the one who gives salvation alone who actually changes your ordinary life so that you can be a person of love and patience and kindness and you can know who you are because you know him. Next step. Got a next step. So last week we gave out these small crosses. I'm assuming most of you have those. If you don't, we don't have enough for everyone to take one. So um, you'll have to fight for them, I guess. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm assuming you have your small cross from last week. If you do, you just keep carrying it. If you don't, pick one up. Here's what I want you to do. Carry a cross again this week, and this time, remember, he's the center of the universe. Think and learn about him. So as you that cross, right? You have this cross and you carry it. Like literally as you're driving, as you're waking up, as you're having coffee, as you're doing school, whatever it is, it's just like there. It's just, it's available as a reminder. And if you need another way of reminding yourself, do that too. But when you have the cross, do not forget he's the most important person in the universe. And nothing, no one trumps Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it draws us to Christ. Would You please help us in mind and in our affections, just the way we feel, to follow in the same footsteps of Luke, that our hearts are drawn, our minds are drawn to Christ. May we enjoy all the things of this world that are available to us that are good, But in those things, may we never lose sight of Christ. Draw us to his salvation. It is in Christ alone. When I wake up, when I have coffee, when I watch TV, when I do yard work, and when I just hang out with friends, Christ remains the most important person in the world. Draw us there as we learn more and more of him. So bless our time in this gospel, this gospel account. We're thankful for it and all the inspiration you have given him. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and together we say...